This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Greetings, I am Barry. If you're searching for answers, spiritual help, clairvoyant readings, healings, crystals, books, incense, or jewellery, you need to go to Infinity, Hamilton Spiritual Centre, in the new premises at 550 Anglesey Street, or you can phone us on 838 1838. This is your link between this life and the next. Become the change the world needs today. Can you hear Greetings, I am Barry. This is the voice we're in for another week. This week I thought we'd have a little look at reincarnation and coming back and being here again and again. Um, I was taught that we come to earth to learn stuff that you can't learn in spirit. Anger and love and all those sorts of emotions. And when you arrive in your new body that you've picked before you came here, You've picked your parents and you've picked your route that you're going to do with this life journey. You forget everything that you, you knew previously. So you come in fresh with a new brain and know nothing, basically. Sometimes, though, there's some people, which we known as savants, where they have an inkling, little children who can, can play amazing concertos on the piano on all sorts of things, mathematicians... So this is, we'll have a look at this this week. My friend Janine Seymour, who now lives in Australia, wrote, You came, you forgot, you search, you leave. You came again, you forgot, you continued to search, you left. Again you arrive, again you forget. Again you continue to search, and again you leave, unable to find that which you forgot. This time it's different. This time you came with a memory that will not be forgotten. That memory is alive within your heart. Your search is inward, dear friends. The journey is taken with love as your guide. You made a pact with yourself this time to connect deeply with that memory so that you may open to the magnificence of yourself so that you will remember the love that you are so that you will remember the beauty that is life so that your connection to the life force is felt once again and you again live in full recognition of all that you are. You promised yourself you would not leave without your knowing again and never again would you arrive here to forget yourself. Do you remember? Turn your focus inward. Nothing you seek is found outside of yourself. Inward is where all you seek is found.
Semavi, it is my life. That's from Andrian Fusion, or a penpipe album I've got. Now, Sandy Humby um, is going to be talking about her past life adventures with um, Pam Gregory. everyone, Pam Gregory Astrologer. Um, this is going to be a very different kind of video from my usual video because I will be referring to some very important astrology in a little while, but it's actually what, what we're going to be sharing with you, uh, my very good friend Sandy Humby and I, is a past life adventure in southwest France. And my good friend Sandy Humby is an absolute genius at shifting stuck energy from the land, from houses, I know no one better. She is a, an absolute magician and you will get a very good sense of how she works in us sharing this story with you because it was, it was really four days of a magic carpet ride. <laughs> so um, let me explain the background to this, how this all began. Um, 17 years ago, I left my marriage and it really was time to start making real the dreams. My mother had passed a few months previously and she'd left me a small inheritance. And I'd always, always wanted to buy a small house in rural France. And so I set that very clear intention. And within about a, a month, I saw an, uh, an advertisement for, um, for a house. It was buying off plan. So the site was still a field. And, um, so I called the number. It was an area of France I didn't know at all down in the southwest. And the, the sales lady said, well, you'll have to be quick because there's one house left off plan. So if you want it, you're going to have to go down very soon. So I was on a plane the next day down to southwest France and went to the site. Sales agent in France picked me up and it was just a field. And I was absolutely mesmerized by the site. I could not stop looking at the mountains. I was just hypnotized by them. And I remember saying to the sales agent, well, this is this feels like home. I have to have it. And he must have thought, boy, is this woman a pushover. This is the easiest sale I have ever had. So that's how um, I started to buy the house in France. It was very rural um, and it was very beautiful. And the whole idea was it was on the edge of a very old sort of 10th century village. There was a beautiful little river um, on the side of the village. And the whole idea was this development potential was on this site that I was at that point standing in. And it was going to be um, little cobbled streets, coloured shutters, terracotta roofs, very much in sympathy with the very old village um, over the river. And everything went magnificently for about two years. I absolutely adored it because the whole idea was that they would... Um, for a small service charge, they would mend things that broke, you know, they'd cover all the maintenance. There was a massive sort of Olympic-sized swimming pool there surrounded by olive trees. And one of my absolute joys was going down at dawn when there was no one there and just swimming on my own up and down and just watching the sun come up over the mountains. Now, as I said, I was just mesmerized, mesmerized by the mountains. So for two years, it was idyllic. And then the developer went bankrupt. You know, this you can probably anticipate what was going to happen there. So, and everything started to unravel. Um, all of the residents got together and started various legal cases. Every one of the legal cases failed. The service charges for the site were going up, and it was impossible to rent 
because the site was really, you know, tumbleweed was starting to blow through. It was, it was really deteriorating. So that went on for seven years. The difficulties went on for seven years and money, um, legal money, service charge money was fire hosing out. But because I owned the freehold, I just couldn't see how to get out of the loop. Estate agents wouldn't look at the site. They knew about the problems. And actually, they'd been further problems for because for a quarter of the houses, there was a big flood. They flooded. And mine was one of the ones that flooded. And the massive mirror came off the wall into a thousand pieces. All the furniture rotted. And it stayed like that for two years. And the management people wouldn't communicate. Um, and... I flew down. They still wouldn't communicate. They were ducking and weaving because they knew all the residents were suing them. So it was a very intractable situation. And in case you're wondering how on earth did an astrologer get herself into this almighty mess, um, I have to say that the astrology was incredibly positive um, at the time I was buying. It was very interesting that um, in the pre, it, it was a nodal return. And my last book was all about nodal, um, the nodal axis. It was a nodal return, which means at the soul level, this is a very positive um, step for you to take for your soul's growth. So I knew that. The previous nodal return, 19 years before, I'd got married. Now, 19 years after, I'd left my marriage. And um, not only was it a nodal return, so the right thing for my soul's growth, but I also had transiting Uranus on my son in the fourth house of the home, ruling the ninth house of foreign places. I mean, it was so clear. Jupiter was coming onto my son. So both transiting Jupiter, transiting Uranus, new perspectives, big new horizons, freedom, think big. And it felt so exciting. And I took possession of the house on my mother's birthday, who'd left me the inheritance. So there were so many positive signs. But for seven years, as I say, it was horrendous. And it was a incredibly stressful and there'd been a couple of hints from other friends um one friend who's very psychic had said you were the leader of a big group and that is one of the keys to solve your problem but i had no idea what that meant the other friend was my my good um astrology buddy bracker goldsmith who i've only ever met twice and uh, the first time was when i said look you love france come down and spend a week with me so picked her up from Knob on station, drove to the site, got out of the car and I said, we're going to have a glorious week, not a cloud in the sky. And she said, all I can see are piles of dead bodies. <laughs> Terrific. And for the week, Bracker followed me about an inch behind me. Now I went to the dustbins, Bracker followed me. She went everywhere. She was pretty freaked by these piles of bodies that I couldn't see, but she could. So that was another hint of perhaps what was to come. Anyway, I was really stumped. And at this point, I was doing a local talk. Sandy Humby, who I knew a little bit, but not well, very kindly volunteered to come and do the bookstore for me. And afterwards, as a thank you, I said, you must come to supper. And it told Sandy all of this horror about what had unfolded. And I think at that point, Sandy, you said, <laughs> I'll come. <laughs> you want somebody to come and resolve that? I'll come. <laughs> My heart leapt because I hadn't realised Sandy did this kind of work. I was very aware of her beautiful um, rose alchemy work. She's incredibly gifted at that. But I didn't know about the energy transformation, the energy alchemy that she did. So I think it was within two weeks. Mm -hmm. we went down. But before we went down, you asked about the location because you wanted to look at a local map. Yeah, it's one of the things that I, I like to do is to is to have a bit of a tune in 
you know, before I land somewhere, whether it's in this country or, you know, anywhere, really, I'd like, I'd like to get a sense of the lay of the land, so to speak. And it was just fascinating when I looked at where the development was. And I'm familiar with the sort of Carcassonne area of, of the south of France, but not this particular area. And I looked on, um, on the mapping and the, the place that just radiated for me was a place called Tem, which I'd never heard of before, but it turned out was a, um, uh, a Cathar a chateau or in ruin now, of course. And I turned around to Pam and I said, well, you know, on our trip down, we, we really must um, go to Term as well. Term has got something to do with the story. And you called me and said, Term, this ruin, you know, at the top of a mountain is lit up like a beacon. And mm. I said, well, that's really funny because that's my favourite place in the entire world. And every time I go down, I, I just climb up you know, to the top of the mountain to go to Term. I take friends there. I just adore it. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's really funny you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. So off we went late November into deep, bleak France at that <laughs> point, because it's just, if you've ever been to rural France, this was very rural. It's just dead. So the site, the development site um, wasn't open um, for us to stay there. So we stayed in a local village and it was very hard to find accommodation, but we booked into this very old, it was hundreds of years old, wasn't it, Sandy? I think 10th, 11th century um, apartment, but the energy was as thick as treacle wasn't it so that was your first job when we when we landed there you know and it we we didn't get there till about nine o'clock at night driving through these these narrow lanes um uh, you know not really know it well I certainly didn't know where we were going um and um and getting to this the place late and then knowing that actually we were going to have I was going to need to space clear I was I was going to need to create a sanctuary for us for the time that we were there. So one of the tools I have in my tool bag is to work with the seed point of the building and create um, a, a sanctuary space for the time, for the length of time that we were we were going to be there. So that was my that was my first job in the process. Around running because and, and the energy by the next morning was totally different. Absolutely. So Sandy did a, a master <laughs> job and um, it, was, it was just brilliant. It just lifted by the next morning. And I think you felt that the, the first day we were there for two clear days, as it were, traveling on day one and day four. And, and you felt that we had to go to the development first, didn't you? Absolutely. I absolutely knew that that held a key for us. That was going to be the first piece of the unlocking and that the visit to term had to come after that. And so we we was, we were staying in the adjacent village. So we we drove to um, the the old village that was right on the edge of the development and parked there. And it's beautiful. You walk down over a river um, before you climb up to the development. And we stopped it because the river was one of the reasons I bought the house in the first place. Mm-hmm. It was just magical. But you stopped there for two reasons, I think. Firstly, because of the light and the orbs. You took photographs. Yeah, it was magical. Secondly, you said to me, are you aware that there are about 60 people walking behind you? They're not walking behind us. They're walking behind you. Women, children. 
Do you remember that? Yeah, men, women and children. I could feel the pressure starting to build up behind me. Um, And it's got a particular feel when you you feel like, you know, you've got this sort of push going on behind you. And it, it was the first piece of the unfolding of this next this next piece of the journey yeah and the river had particular significance for you didn't it which you weren't you weren't expecting no it's do you know it Pam it's one of those things when you um when you step forward to do house whispering or space alchemy there's always um there's always something that weaves both ways there's always two aspects so in in showing up to be that conduit of the story to uh, be, be like a, a Poirot, really, uh, in unraveling the story. There's always something that is connected to my story. So there has to be a piece to my story that connects to your story. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been working together. Yeah. Amazing. So the, 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 for me, there was an absolute memory of my time working with Mary Magdalene in the south of France many centuries prior to the piece of work that we were going to uncover together. So it was, you know, it was the start of the magical adventure as we went over that, that, that bridge to take us into the development. Wow. So we climbed up into the development and there, there were about 172 houses there. And Sandy felt we, we needed to walk all around the development with this mm. crowd of, 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 of beings behind us. And I was feeling the weight of the emotion. I mean, it was profound. You know, you couldn't miss it. It was palpable. And at one point, Sandy just stopped and said, this is where the massacre began. And I said, well, that's my front door. And that was the only house left on the plan. And so again, Sandy was very aware that there'd been a huge massacre. But again, we didn't have all of the pieces of the story at that point. So we walked around and we walked down then to the the herb garden because you wanted to find a piece of, of, of earth, really, where you could release these souls that were walking behind me. Yeah, it was getting a bit intense. <laughs> it was, they didn't want to back off. You know, I was saying, you know, come on, guys, you know, back off a bit. This is a bit... This is a bit intense. And and it was very clear um, because there were people working on the site, weren't there? Because actually they were they were pruning the roses. They were clearing the roses, which I also felt was really significant in, you know, the unraveling of the story. And um, and because I have a very strong connection with the path of the rose, the way of the rose, um, there, w- there was a real sense that that had, a, that had a piece to show in the story. But we, I remember us standing overlooking where the swimming pool and the, and the um, communal building was and actually looking down and going, no, 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 we need to go down over there. We need to go down where, where, they, where the herb garden was on the edge of the stream. And so that's what we did, trying to look as... Um, unobtrusive as possible that nobody was <laughs> nobody was going to be tracking where we were where we were heading for the you know with the gardeners on the site and and then you were able to um create your own particular magic to release all of the souls and i think you said they all came forward and bowed to me yeah so there were steps down um from the swimming pool area that took us down into that into that herb garden and 
the guidance I had was that you and I stood on either side of this this stairway down. And I, you know, every time I do a job, I, I don't know what's going to unfold, you know, and, it, it, and in, in, in a lot of ways, it's just being totally present to what is wanting to be revealed in the moment, which is the magic, really. I never have a, a, a program in my mind as to how something is going to unfold. So I just sense that we were forming a gateway and that one by one, these souls came down the steps and they genuflected to you. They, they bowed to you. They moved through the portal that we would, we had created and returned to spirit. And that we, we waited as they came through and I could hear in the, in the distance, this sound of the Cathar hymn, Le Bouvier. And actually, if anybody wants to check that out, if you Google Le Bouvier and the Cathar hymn, it's a haunting, haunting sound that, that, um, tends to repeat. Once you hear it, it goes, it rolls through. So they were coming through until we'd cleared all of the souls that were stuck on the development. And what was fascinating was that there were five Catholics that then came forward when everybody else had gone to ask for forgiveness. And they turned to you and each one asked for forgiveness as they moved through. So the story started to show itself that, in fact, that you had led these women, men, women and children, to what you had felt was a safe place because yeah, you knew. There. there used to be yeah, a church Because there. The, 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 it was another reason why you built, you chose this property was the fact that it was actually built on consecrated ground. So the, the developer had had to get permission to actually <laughs> develop this complex on this particular piece of land. So the story started to, to, to come clear as the souls had gone through of what had happened and the fact that you had led this group to what you thought was safety, but you had been followed and you were then ambushed. And so this was part of the reason why it felt so familiar for you. When you yep. stood on that piece of Absolutely. land, it really was it really was home. And with Sandy mentioning the the song of the Cathars, which I'd never heard, we went back to a, our apartment where we were staying and found it online. And and Sandy is so right; it's haunting, it's melancholy, it has deep pain, despair, and fierce hope in it. And all I it was rolling around. I just wanted to hear it again and again, and I still play it now because mm. it takes me to a such a deep place it takes me right back to yeah. all of that experience and and of course back to that cathar lifetime yeah so that was kind of day one wasn't it <laughs> and actually we took roses back we, yes. because the 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 gardeners we only had there was only one exit exit so we had to go back up after this process back up and out the same way the gardeners were were you know stacking all of these beautiful roses um, that they cut off onto trailers. And we asked whether we could bring some back with us. 
So we brought some back to the apartment and I knew that that was going to be part of our process for the next day was, was through the, the, the heart of the rose, the golden heart of the rose. And it was such a deeply moving day with all these souls. I mean, I had no, you know, conception. I'd I'd been a leader or lived, you know, I just know. But anyway, so that was that was the first full day, (laughs) as it were. And then the next day we went up to term and term, as we say, is just a ruin. But it's way up in the mountains. I mean, you're absolutely in the middle of nowhere and you've got to go up a lot of switchbacks, hairpin bends up up, up, up. And I don't think somebody was thrilled about the drive either because it's just a sheer drop on one side. You know, there's absolutely no protection. So we zip, zip, zip all the way up. And then you've got to park and climb as well, walk very, very steeply up to the ruin. And heights don't bother me, but this is where your flashbacks of your past life started to kick in. Absolutely. I've always, you know, this lifetime, I've been terrified of of heights and, and being on the edge of um something on the edge of the mountain or you know um getting near the edge anywhere and um that feeling of being drawn pulled over and actually what that that connects back in for me is is a, a Cathar uh lifetime at Montsegur and being one of the ones that went over at, at Montsegur carrying the Cathar treasure so this was, you know, I still, I still haven't got. So Pam was horrified when I was clinging, <laughs> clinging to the side, to 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 try and get up this this <laughs> this really hairy um, journey right up into the centre of the chateau. And yet I knew we had to go up there because I knew there was another piece that we had to get at. Um, and it was so fun because, you know, I was saying to, to Sandy, Sandy, don't worry, you're safe with me. And I remember Sandy snapping back, well, it didn't work that well last time, did it? <laughs> but, you know, equally, we both knew we had to get to the top. Remember, we are absolutely in the middle of, of nowhere. No, no human soul to be seen for miles. And eventually we, we got to the top, didn't we? And, and you were very nervous about coming down. And I said, look, I always come down this certain way and it's going to be fine. It'll be easier than you know, the clamber up. But you said, no, no, we've got to go back this way. And I was thinking, oh, this is going to be so steep for you. But you insisted on coming back that way. And what that meant was that we'd passed a plaque that in all the times I'd visited Term, I'd never seen before. I'd, I'd just never seen it. And we took a photograph because what Sandy was feeling, and Sandy will say more about this, but Sandy absolutely knew or really felt that I was the Cathar Perfecti there Mm. at the time, and this was historically um, known, historically recorded, there was a siege of the chateau from August to November 1210. And Sandy really felt that I was the Perfecti, I was, you know, head of, religious head, spiritual head of the group at that time. Um, and so one of our questions was, well, how many were there? Was there just one perfect eye or several perfect eye? And what the plaque said, which was so weird, which was absolutely what we wanted to know, there was only one perfect eye here at the time of the siege by the Catholics in 1210. I thought, how weird it says that, because that was our question. So we took yeah. a photograph. And then you asked, Sandy, didn't you? You asked spirit, really. Yeah. If and I was... was 
yeah perfect yeah. at that time absolutely and i got it really clear i mean it was an awful siege in that year and it was a very hot summer um in in france and um the the those at, up in the chateau w- were without water um all the waters were drying up they they were in a in a dreadful state really and when the rains did come there were dead animals and all sorts in the um containers for the water and a lot of the uh people that were left there um died of dysentery and what i got as a very clear sense was that pam had made the decision in her lifetime as the parfait the perfect i to take these this group of about 70 um men women and children out and down in a secret way that she knew that she could take them to what she thought was going to be a place of safety which was the consecrated ground <laughs> and the chapel that the development was built on yeah so it all began to make sense of what was going on and we'd come we'd come down some steps on that particular side of the chateau and paused at a plateau and i'd taken roses up with me and you know we'd we'd got that level of understanding of the symbology of tem for pam in part of her her own story unfolding and there were another 44 people uh, souls that came forward then to uh, acknowledge pam and be released which we did with the roses that we brought from the development and lurking in the corner in the shadows was the an energy that uh, i researched later to understand a bit more about was someone who called himself Simon de Montfort and he was a very shady shadowy figure but he was terrified that he was going to hell which is was a really fascinating piece of the of the storyline to to show itself so what was fascinating as well when Sandy uses her dowsing rods a lot when she's doing this and um as we were standing in that little place having seen the plaque Sandy asked the dowsing rods was pam um the perfect eye here at the time of the the siege of the catholics in 1210 and she got instantly yes 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 and i felt this absolute thunderbolt of energy going through me it was just in a millisecond boom i said did you feel that and you said yes you've just downloaded all the keys and codes of leadership and i think you took a photograph me but i said no barely keeping up with this and um so that was absolutely mm. astonishing and i felt at this time that i was kind of slipping between lifetimes um i didn't quite know which lifetime i was in and what's important astrologically is that this was my inverse nodal return so this again i bought the house um at my nodal return with the universe saying at the soul level this is absolutely the right thing for you to do then 9 years later this is happening at the inverse nodal return which is all about at the soul level um closure of the deep past it's mm-hmm. often connect- connected to past lives it's releasing 
problems from past lives that have leaked into this life and affected it, its awakenings, its revelations, its understandings, but it's like the fool kind of stepping off the cliff edge that you are now closing that that past in order to move forward cleanly and, 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 and productively to the future all at the soul level. So this weave of the tapestry between the, the nodal return, the inverse nodal return was astonishing. And I was so aware of the astrology at that time, because when you get these incredibly powerful nodal points, nodal return, nodal square, no, inverse nodal return, they're like portals. They're like portals where the, the deep past leaks through and it can be quite mystical. So, you know, in all this magic, I, I barely, I, it was hard for my feet to touch the ground because there was so much magic happened. And the other thing we didn't mention, Sandy, is that you set up a, a grid in the apartment for this whole process, didn't you? I called it your Harry Potter grid because it was <laughs> and roses and, and just mm. magic. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, it's one of the things that I do with most of my space clearing consultations because it's a, just a beautiful way of um, anchoring the light uh, and working. So working with fresh rose petals, working with the rose alchemy oracle and also crystals, because I'd taken certain extractor crystals with me so that I knew that I was going to be a, able to support the process um, for you and for whatever was going to come together, but also that it was going to hold um, the whole the whole process with grace and with love. Um, and for me, whenever there is um, uh, spirit release, <laughs> and this was multiple spirit release um, involved, then it's always done with that real sense of heart presence and. Um, yeah, honour. It was a trauma that, that, you know, that a soul might experience. It was so remarkable. And and Sandy had explained, you know, the history had stopped at um, people starting to uh, become ill with dysentery. And what's really odd is um, when I was 26 and I used to do love trekking the Himalayas, I contracted a very, very rare form of amoebic dysentery that they couldn't fix at the Tropical Diseases Hospital. And in fact, it, it turned into other chronic diseases, which plagued me for about 39 years. And that was only resolved exactly at this time, just before and just after we were doing this trip. So that was another completion of, of the dysentery, which caused linked to the, in my, in my world, linked to the dysentery that the people um, had experienced. So as a perfect eye, Sandy said, I then led these people over Hill and Dale, probably for three or four days to get to the church. It would have been a long journey on foot thinking we were safe. But then the Catholics followed us, as you said, and that's when the massacre happened. The massacre, the bodies that Bracco could see um, and, and obviously all that Sandy could see. And divine intelligence had waited 800 years for me to buy, I'm so goosebumping, for me to buy that house very deliberately, last house on the site off plan. I didn't have the gift to release the trapped souls in the land that Sandy did. And it was through Sandy's gift that all of that could be unlocked. All of that could be released. And there were 172 houses on the site. And as I said, estate agents just wouldn't, wouldn't get involved. They wouldn't look at it because there were so many problems. But then by chance, um, an opportunity came up to sell and I sold the property within four months. 
And the release of that, I was the only one to sell in the whole site. And I think everyone else is still um, very enmeshed in it. But um, mm. the fact I was the only one to sell, because Sandy had released the energy and I clo we closed the door on that lifetime. Mm. And not only did that relieve you know, massive financial pressure and stress, but also it gave so much meaning to the experience and the previous seven years of challenge. It gave such meaning to it. It enriched my life massively. It's one of the, the most extraordinary adventures I've ever had in my life, but it couldn't have happened without Sandy to release all of that and to do it with, with such love. And, mm. and it's enriched, as I say, it's enriched my life enormously, not only to understand what all that story was about, which nobody else could do for me, but Sandy actually put names and dates. You know, I felt my name at that time was Gautier. I haven't got the second name yet, but it was, that's, that's my, and I have such a strong sense of it. I couldn't have tapped into any of that without Sandy's gift of being able to see that. And what she does in her energy um, alchemy is she is able to identify the trauma, the date, the name, so often the actual event of how the person or the people have got trapped in that particular space. I don't know anybody who has that level of gift and genius. And it's and I just to say, you know, I'm not clairvoyant at, at this point. Anyway, I'm not clairvoyant. I'm clairaudient and clairsentient. So it comes in as an absolute knowing, um, an instinctive knowing. And then I will often hear um, words and I, I have the ability to, to tune my radio dial down to actually connect with um, uh, earthbound spirits so that I can hear the I can hear the story I hear what the trauma was what the heart trauma was that that meant that they didn't leave um, and return to spirit cleanly that a fragment of the soul the incarnated soul gets caught in the seat of the trauma the, where the trauma happened it doesn't, um, and sometimes, you know, there will be trauma where somebody, uh, the soul goes on to something else, but actually at the time of passing with unresolved trauma, they will go back to where the incident happened. It was just yeah. such a, an amazing experience. So not only did Sandy solve the problem <laughs> and create closure in all of that, including closure in the past life and closure for all of those trapped spirits, you know, with the 44 at term and the 70 at the development, you know, they they were all sent to the light. So that was an immense service for the collective. It was an immense service to the earth. But I can now view that in such a positive light, so much meaning embedded in that whole experience rather than, you know, you're not going to believe what happened to me and how, you know, all of that. It, it, it turned everything into positivity. And I'm so grateful for that experience. Mm -hmm. But what is extraordinary also is how the astrology was weaving so perfectly, so literally into Sandy's magic down in southwest France. It was extraordinary. And I think, Sandy, you have some photos on your website of that whole trip. I do, actually. Um, I've got two websites. One is rosealchemy.com, which is mostly my work with the roses and the rose of the heart, the way of the rose, the way of, way of sacred homecoming to self. Um, and my other website is sandyhumby.com. Um, and that's mostly about my work as um, energy alchemy in spaces as a house whisperer. 
So there's lots of stories. But one of the stories on the website, uh, on Sandy Humby website, is is the story of, of Pam's, my journey with Pam. And there's a whole series of photographs that you might like to see because they will give you the sense of the magic that unfolded in our in our journey. And um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I think Pam's going to put the links in underneath the video. Um, and also that, that, that I have um, a couple of videos that are um, in my shop that might be of interest to you because they explain a little bit more about what makes up the note of a house and how we can manage and make, create sanctuary places for the soul. So... Beautiful. I mean, beautifully said. And I, I don't know anyone who has such a gift to that degree that can get all of the detail in the way Sandy does. And I couldn't be more grateful to her. She saved my bacon. And um, it was I felt it was so much meant to be. I couldn't do that on my own. I don't have that gift, but Sandy does. And just bless you, Sandy, for being a wonderful human being and um, pouring love into the world with your work. Oh, thank you, Pam. I mean, it was just such an adventure. It was such a, actually, it was, it was enriching and an enriching journey for both of us in the, the process. And um, we, you know, we had a lot of fun in, in the journey as well as the hilarious movie. moments. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> And, and you know, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, you know, I know Sandy has done this kind of work for other people. It's very fine. It's very precious work. And uh, I just want to give her a, a huge cyber hug and thank her a million for, for being there when she was so needed. So bless you, Sandy. Thank you. Thanks, Pam. Thanks, everyone. And I hope you found it interesting. Very different video. But um, I just really felt that I wanted to uh, to share Sandy's work with you all um, because she may be able to help somebody out there, maybe one of you. So thanks ever so much. Back to my regular updates next week. <laughs> Bye for now. Oh
All is well from Karen Drucker. Now, if you think um, you've got land that's got problems, like that, like Pam Gregory had, um, we have people at Infinity who can come and help clear the land for you, do all sorts of cleansing and all sorts of things. This is a guy called Melon Thomas Benedict, and um, he's explaining the fifth dimension reality because he had a near-death experience. This is your host, Dorothy Shelton. In today's video, Melon Thomas Benedict explains what is fifth dimensional reality. And are we already living in such a reality? If you want to know more about Melon Thomas Benedict and his remarkable near-death experience, I will link the full video down below in the info box. Before I died, I was a real pessimist. I really believed that the human race was going to destroy the planet and overpopulate it and destroy everything on its way. And I really believe that because I started perceiving the humanity as a rampant, out-of-control cancer, that that's why I developed my cancer. And I got a real good case of it, a terminal case. Uh, the difference is that when I came back, that everything I went over thinking was a problem was actually part of a solution. I had not been seeing it in a big enough picture and I was given the big picture of what uh, all of this is about on the planet, including nuclear missiles, toxic waste, population, karma, the incarnation, all of these things where I was educated. And I got a tour on the other side of the uh, Kazakh records. It's where all knowledge is. The Kazakh records is full of the good, the bad, the great, the awesome, the ugly. It's just everything that is, that ever was, is, is in the Kazakh records. And those are Kazakh records, by the way, also stored in every cell of your body. But what was really speaking to me was what I call the Great Self. The entire universe, the entire Godhead experience of which we're a part of is one large, one Great Self that's ever-expanding, that never had a beginning and doesn't have any ending. The old question of where did it all come from is mute in the larger universe because it never had a beginning and it never has an ending. And that's a concept we're just barely even being able to even conceive at this level of consciousness. Very, very soon, this entire spiritual trip humanity's been on will be completed because spirituality in the Godhead universe is just one small band like a rainbow. It's the violet band and there are many other bands of consciousness experience in the universe besides spirituality and besides materialism. In fact, I learned that there's more to this Godhead universe than life and death. There's more than forever. There's more than time and space. Much, much more. We're just barely even beginning to get into a level of consciousness where we can even begin to even toy with those ideas. In cosmic time, in the blinking of an eye now, it's so close, it's a breath away. Everything that mankind, all the highest aspects, some in the, in the Christian religion would call it the millennium, others would call it the age of Aquarius. It's been many, many names for it. The name now being bandied around, and I, I tend to use too, is we're coming into fifth dimensional awareness now and it's hitting everybody from housewives to metaphysicians it's really coming on quite fast now we have already evolved through all the other dimensions from the big bang to this moment first dimensional reality is about subatomic structure the big bang experience second dimensional reality is where the atomic structure started forming the individual atoms that form the physical universe to hold consciousness third dimensional reality is reality where we first come into sort of a consciousness this 3d world that we know and live in where you have tables and chairs and 3d reality around you and in fourth dimensional reality which we're well into now and coming to the end of is the development of the mental realms 
and plants have a little bit of this, animals have a little bit of it, but the human beings are really the masters of fourth dimensional reality, which means a concept of time and space, concept of history. In fourth dimensional reality, a mental reality, you're able to develop technology, and that technology will allow you to look at a star and to figure out what that star is made of, and then to figure out that you're made of that star. Mm -hmm. Fifth dimensional reality, which we're coming into very rapidly now, is when we go beyond the mental. The mental has served us and it will serve us in the future, but the mental is only a small part of the being that we really are, only one band in the rainbow that we are. Fifth dimensional reality is the gateway to all other dimensions. When you finally reach a fifth dimensional awareness, you are an awareness that can conceive of the past, the present, and the future in the now, and this is happening as we talk all around the world. It is also getting into a dimension of manifestations, and manifestations are starting to happen all over the planet. More and more people are doing manifestations. Manifestations would be something like what Sai Baba does, you know, where they can make material appear out of thin air, when they're basically using the atomic structure of the universe to do that. There's plenty of energy in the universe to manifest anything that we want. The universe is super abundant, super abundant. People like Sai Baba and others that are doing that and doing their manifestations today, making things appear out of thin air, are the hundredth monkey. Because if one human can do it, all humans can do it. And that's what they're really about for the rest of us to understand, not to worship them, but to realize what's coming. I've worked with some manifestors, but I can tell you that it's a non-mental process. These are not intellectuals. But if you get too mental, you cut off the magic of life, and there's a lot of magic in the universe. How I see it when I work with manifestors is that all manifestors manifest with their eyes open. I can see energy since I came back from the other side. I can see all sorts of realms of energy. And as I watch them and photograph them and film them, I can see that they have a fifth-dimensional visualization process going on in which you and I may be able to picture something in our head, but the minute you're able to picture it outside of your head, it will manifest. Imagining a rose in your head and going over the details, uh, getting a picture on your mental screen, that's the way most people visualize today. Uh, and that is a manifestation of certain thought form energy. To manifest physical uh, phenomenon, say they want to manifest a rose in your hand, they have such an intense visualization process that they see in 3 and 4D reality and the energy absolutely fills into that mold. It's an intense visualization outside of your head. This is another thing about the humanity's next level of evolution and consciousness is a realm in which is so different from our world today. We won't be in different bodies, but we will be in a different world. If you can understand the psychic world of, say, Rome when Julius Caesar was alive, it's a different psychic realm than we live in today. Different thinking, different processing. The world of the future, which is very, very close, it's as close for many of us as our next incarnation. It's that close. This world in which we will be able to manifest and, and do all of these sort of things is a world in which there is no fear. The biggest thing humanity is processing right now is fear. And we have had fear since we were one-celled amoebas all the way to the present moment. We have known nothing but survival mode, behavior, and existence. And the human being is the first part of the Gaia system that will transcend the survival mode of existence. And we are so very lucky to be human, because I can tell you what one night in the jungle would be like compared to one night in the human realm. The human realm is absolutely incredibly graceful realm, no matter what you think about what's going on out there from the media. The people of the future look back on us in this time as the giants of history. Can you believe that? It's absolutely amazing. 
we don't even know what we're doing that is benefiting mankind. Those of us that lived in the Industrial Revolution are a small burst of energy that set mankind free because we're not meant to be industrial animals. The Industrial Revolution altogether will be a small segment of human evolution. I came back in 82 telling people that there will never ever again in history be as many jobs as there once was before. There's no need for it anymore. We're moving into a different society and a different world. As we move into fifth dimensional awareness, we become incredibly sensitive to everything around us. And this is what I'd like to talk about on Saturday and in my talks that I give these days is to help people understand what's happening to them that they're not going crazy at all and to not let people tell them they're going crazy. We are rapidly moving into an awareness that includes the past, the present, and the future. It includes seeing angels and includes seeing energy and dimensions incredibly more psychic sensitivity in the human being now than ever before and this sensitivity is also the very sensitivity that is driving some people crazy in fifth dimensional awareness if your job is not right for you you will not be able to stand it your cells and your body will not be able to stand it there's a great correction that goes on as we move into the fifth dimensional awareness that's for a very good reason because once we move into the next realm which is a manifestation realm a create your own reality on mass if we took fear with us we would destroy the world very very rapidly we know the mind body connection now and how our thoughts and stress can destroy our immune system slowly if you're in a manifestation mode and you have this kind of stress and fear you will destroy your immune system instantly And in this realm we live in now whenever you have a negative thoughts or argue with somebody you're getting more of it than they are you see and we're starting to begin to realize that fifth dimensional awareness is also about realizing that we're part of a larger living being called Gaia that we're a part of a being that's much larger than ourselves in cosmic time it will now happen in the blinking of an eye but humans tend to want to wait for a certain date some have woken up 10 years ago some are waking up this moment some are waking up 10 years from now In cosmic time, the 100 years before us and the 100 years after us is absolutely a blinking of an eye. And in cosmic time, that's pretty much on the dime. Everybody's going to be pretty much waking up in the same time, you see. The end of karma is very, very exciting. All the prophecies on earth of every culture there is ends in our lifetime. Every prophecy on earth ends in our lifetime. And that's because the ancients had no way to predict what's going to happen next because up till now the future's been very very easy to predict. The end of karma is very very interesting and the industrial revolution broke up that old family unit that was a very narrow band of consciousness and the fundamentalists are freaking about this but really in Gaia's sense it's a freeing of the system for further growth. What it allows us to do is extend families beyond the bloodline now. We have foster families, extended families now. and we also we're creating new types of families that are not necessarily related to bloodline the other thing is that on mass people are disassociating from the past now not that the past is bad it's just that it's time to change and this is reflected by disassociating with our parents and things like that there are many many people that love their parents but they really need to get away from them and you shouldn't feel bad about that in fifth dimensional awareness and in the end of karma people are going to start realizing that not only is the present changeable the future is changeable but more than that the past is changeable and we're not only going to change the future now as we change the present we are going to change the past these dimensions have always been here and more it's just that we're waking up to them it's nothing new to the universe it's new to us Many people are doing it through past life regression work, future progression work. They're clearing out their past, and there's this urge, and a lot of us to clear out our past. It's been holding us down, and literally, it's okay 
to go back into the past and rewrite your history. Any of your history you don't like, you don't have to carry anymore. You're not stuck with it. And I do quite a bit of this work in my own life and with others. And anytime I go into a past life, in which there's something I don't like, I get the lesson first. It is perfectly all right and possible and tangible to go into the past and rewrite your history and create a new history. So who writes the history books? What is history really? In fact, reality itself is a very slippery thing. You know, ten people can look at the same thing and get a different opinion of it, and that's reality. Reality is nothing you can nail down, believe me. It's all changeable, it's all mutable, and the cat's out of the bag, and it's wonderful. It's a wondrous thing to be among the stars and to walk upon the moon. But their beauty must be enjoyed, not destroyed. Tragedy feels like a melody we've got to listen to. From time to time History Feels like a part of me Is every century A spiral We all climb I guess time will teach us all Time will teach us all Time
John Lennon and Stevie Wonder Time will teach us all That's from the, um, the soundtrack of the musical Time Talking about Time It was in 2005 30th of November in fact That I recorded this And it's, it's very, very relevant to what's gone previously from Pam It has no fabric, only understanding. It has no membership, save those who know they belong. It has no rivals, because it is non-competitive. It has no ambition, it seeks only to serve. It knows no boundaries, for nationalisms are unloving. It is not of itself, because it seeks to enrich all groups and religions. It has no secret, no arcanum deep secret or mystery no initiation save that of true understanding of the power of love and that if we want it to be so the world will change but only if we change ourselves first it acknowledges all great teachers of all ages who have shown the truth of love its participants will practice the truth of love in all their being it seeks not to teach but to be and in being to enrich it recognises the whole planet as a being of which we are all a part. It recognises that the time has come for the supreme transmutation, the ultimate alchemy act of conscious change of the world, ego, into a voluntary return to the whole. It does not proclaim itself with a loud voice, but in the subtle realms of loving. It salutes all those in the past who have blazed the path and have paid the price. Its members shall know each other by their deeds and being, and by their eyes, and by no other outward sign save the fraternal embrace. Its members will dedicate their lives to the silent loving of their neighbour and environment and the planet, while carrying out their task, however exalted or humble. It recognises the supremacy of the great idea, which may only be accomplished if the human race practises love. It has no reward to offer either here or in the hereafter, save that of an ineffable joy of being and loving. Its members shall seek to advance the cause of understanding, doing good by stealth and teaching only by example. Its members shall heal their neighbours, their community and our planet. Its members shall know no fear and feel no shame, and their knowledge shall prevail over all odds. All those who belong, belong to the Church of Love. The Cathars left this prophetic vision, the last loan of whom were burned alive by the Inquisition of the Roman Catholic Church and Montesquieu Languedoc, France, in 1244 AD, which is exactly where Pam was in, in what she was talking about. So even back in those times in 1200 AD, people knew that love was the answer. Look after one another and heal the planet. Who would know all these years later that um, we're still fighting, the people in Wellington are fighting for love and bringing people together 
the Hopi Indian prophecy from where people of all races and creeds will come together to change the world. Is this the time, folks?
if we believe in love, Barbara Hester from the Souls Blooming from the Association of Light and Life, my, uh, my friends in America. Now here's a guy called Isaac James Bishara, and he wrote, We do not become Tohunga. We came born as Tohunga. We are Tohunga. Some of us are still remembering who we are. We do not become healers. We came as healers. We are healers. Some of us are still accepting who we are. We do not become storytellers. We came as carriers of the stories we and other ancestors actually lived. We are a living story. Some of us are still realising who we are. We do not become artists. We came as artists. We are creativity. Some of us are still imagining who we are. We do not become dancers or singers. We came as dance. We are the song of life. Some of us are still harmonising with who we rhythmically are. We do not become poets, musicians, leaders, lovers, imagineers, activists, meditators, change agents, peacemakers, toil, creators, shapers and magicians. We came as such. We are all we are. Some of us are still in awe of who we are. We do not learn Aroha in this sense. We came as Aroha, from Aroha, replete with abundant Aroha. We are Aroha, whole pure sacred. Some of us are still discovering the divine Aroha we are. Well, if you're looking for your Aroha, maybe this is the place to look. This is uh, the doorway of Midori.
Barry, it's been the voice within. Kakite, shalom, namaste, masalam. May our God go with you.
Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.